Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me as always is my producer, Kevin Black, a.k.a. the best producer in the business. And for his last show during this 2022 NBA draft cycle, don't worry, we say those words. Stephen will definitely be back with Draft Deeper next draft cycle. But for this 2022 period, this is his last show with me tonight, Stephen Gillespie. Probably a lot of emotions, my friend, but we watched the wild lottery. Everything's just hitting you all at once. How are you doing? What are your raw feelings and emotions as we get ready to dive into what we're doing tonight? Oh man, it's um, you know, I'm a dad, I'm a I'm a husband, you know, I, I'm I'm an emotional cat. There's a lot going on internally right now, Nathan. Uh first off, you know, big ups to you. Uh, shouting out Kevin he is the best producer in the business. You know, love the fact that I get to be on the show with you guys. I'm an emotionally charged, just machine tonight. I get to talk draft. I get to hang out with my friends. Like this is a great time. We get to talk to the draft deeper faithful. It doesn't get better than this, man. I'm excited. So let's just jump right into it. This was, oh my gosh, it, it wasn't, a lottery that was off the rails in terms of like multiple people jumped into the top four, Stephen, but we did have one team jump in. That was the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. Leapfrogging <laughs> multiple teams. Most notably the Detroit Pistons fell out of the top four and now sit at the five spot. When, when we run through a lottery mock draft, which we're going to do on this show momentarily, I'm, I'm very curious to see, who ultimately lands at that spot with the Detroit Pistons at number five. But Sacramento moves up to number four. Mm-hmm. The Houston Rockets at the number three spot. Oklahoma City yep. at the number two spot. So, so close. Shout out to shout out to Thunder Chats. Shout out to Topic Thunder. They were so close to getting yep. the number one pick, but I still think they sit pretty at number two. And then number one, the Orlando Magic. I did a podcast yesterday with mm-hmm. Max Van Auken. This audience will be listening to that podcast on Thursday. We talked about situations in which what would the Orlando Magic do if they got the number one pick? Who would they ultimately go with? And we threw out all three of the top names. We threw out Jabari Smith, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro. Max and I talked about how we, th- we think they would go with Chet Holmgren at number one if they got the number one pick. But then I said back, Stephen, I said, I really think Paolo was the best fit with that team. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's been a popular opinion on multiple draft funds, I think, for a few months now. And I've, I've been a big guy who's argued, and I did so on that podcast episode that everybody will end up hearing. I did argue for Jabari Smith to also be heavily considered for that spot just because of the proximity, right? Like those Orlando yeah. Magic scouts don't have to travel far to go to Auburn <laughs> and see Jabari Smith and just completely come back to the war room, like pounding the table. Oh my gosh. Like we've seen this guy so many times this year and every single time he's delivered, like why, why would we not take this guy with the number one overall pick? So I think Steven, I think because Orlando got number one, I think this race is wide open not that it wasn't already wide open but i think between those three guys this race is 100 wide open what are your initial reactions to orlando getting the number one pick i mean it's it's wild you know you never expect a team like orlando to take it especially with the the, the company that was in there you know i was really thinking that detroit might have a really good shot at landing the top pick houston is on this incredible rebuild you and i were both big fans of what they did last season 
you know, we have a lot of friends and uh, colleagues now and uh, associates that are deep into the Oklahoma City community, and they've been nothing but kind to us. And, you know, it it's just wild, man. Orlando, you know, when we wrote our five questions, which are, you know, or when we answered our five questions, which you can find on the No Ceilings NBA website, a lot of folks had different, you know, viewpoints within our collective on who needs the number one pick the most. And I picked yep. the Orlando Magic because I talked about how Oklahoma City, you know, they have Gideon SGA. I talked about Houston and they have Jalen Green. And even though Bill Simmons may say F Jalen Green, obviously joking, like there was nothing foul play there, in my opinion. But, you know, um, and then Detroit, you know, they have Cade Cunningham. These teams have bright futures. Orlando just has like a nice cast of, you know, good to great bench players and and ancillary players, but they don't have a number one option. And now this draft class may not ultimately yield like a, a tier one type of player, Nathan, that you're accustomed to evaluating. But if any team needs a shot at potentially getting the best player out of any draft class, to me, is the Orlando Magic. So I'm excited to see him here at number one. So you kind of talked about some of the team constructions. And that was a point that, that Max and I went back and forth about with the Orlando Magic, was that there's a lot of interesting players at multiple position groups. But there isn't that one guy that you point to, especially on the offensive end. You go that guy's the guy, right? Like Detroit has Kate Cunningham. As you mentioned, the Houston Rockets have Jalen Green. The Magic don't have that guy. And the Thunder have potentially two guys that really complement each other in the backcourt, which brings some of what you and I have talked about over the coming weeks, like how would the Thunder draft if they were left to draft at one of the guard slash wing spots, for example, not one of the three bigs. So that just brings up another layer of conversation. Mm -hmm. Um I'm just I'm 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 really blown away that Orlando actually jumped up and got the number one pick. We're kind of <laughs> reacting to this live, so it, yeah. it's okay that that I can be caught off guard a little bit as a podcast host. Um, oh man, it's going to be really interesting to see where these top three teams go. Do you see before we do um, a, a lottery mock draft rundown, which is essentially how this will go, is Stephen. I wanted him to come on and give how he would mock the lottery because I want this to be a lot of his last thoughts with this 2022 NBA draft. We went through his big board. I want to leave him with a mock draft in the same way we will run through the lottery. But before we get to that really quick, Stephen, do you, do you see any three of those bigs falling out of the top three and letting one of those guards jump up in which case Sacramento has a pretty interesting player fall to them at number four? Do you think those three bigs are going to be who goes? I think with the teams, the way that they land, I'd be it'd be hard pressed for me to see any of the big three fall out of the top three because we'll get into some of the names here in particular. But Orlando, I feel very strongly that they're going to get one of the big three, and then Oklahoma City, since they're drafting second, I think that they'll probably go more of the consensus route as to you know there's a couple names that are kind of split for that number one pick. Houston picking third, they have an abundance of like kind of guard play. So I don't necessarily think at number three that they'll kind of get cute or risky here. But when we start looking at four on down, that's when I start thinking that some of these guards that we'll mention here in the in the coming moments, that's when they'll start coming in. Just based on the way that the top three kind of shook out, I think that the big three will be safe. 
Is there anybody you were disappointed that didn't make the leap into the top four? Like, I think when we answered that question, well, who's a team that you would root for and potentially jump up? When we did that lottery preview over on NoSillingsNBA.com, I kind of wanted Portland to jump up just because of everything that's happened with them, some of the stuff with Dame. Like, I was kind of hoping that they would make a sneaky jump up and that they could possibly land one of these really interesting forwards to better complement some of the other players on their roster. Nevertheless, that didn't happen. We have a lot of New York Knicks fans, I'm sure, that are listening to this podcast. And yeah. the is that any one team in particular you were disappointed didn't jump up? I mean, I'm not necessarily disappointed, but when when asked that question, you know, the New Orleans Pelicans, like, they stole my heart in this postseason because just the way that they didn't care, like, I'm sure deep down they respect the talent that they were playing against uh, in the Phoenix Suns, but just how young they were, they didn't have Zion. You know, CJ McCollum is like finally away from Portland. Not that he even wanted to be away, but, you know, it was kind of a an ongoing conversation of how long will Damon CJ be on the same team? And, you know, he's finally gone. We start seeing these young guys, you know, TM3, a player that a lot of us at, at No Ceilings were really high on. You know, Herb Jones is just, one of the the darlings of the season in terms of rookies. So I thought it would have been really interesting to see off of the heels of incredible, you know, second half of the season for them, it, relative incredible ha- second half of the season, I guess I should say. And then, you know, that, that you know, kind of thrilling playoff bout that they had against the Suns. I was really kind of hoping that the momentum would just carry over and that the Pelicans would kind of vault up into that top five conversation. Yeah, it would have been really interesting to see what they would have done um, with a top five pick. I think that they could have added an electric option in the backcourt, like a Jaden Ivey or even a Shane Sharp. Sure. They may still add a backcourt player, and they may still add a backcourt player in your mock, which we will run through very shortly. So let's let's set the scene for the audience. Let's give the order in case for whatever reason they haven't seen the order by the time they're listening to this episode of the podcast. Number one, we talked about it, the Orlando Magic. Number two, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Number three, the Houston Rockets. Number four, the Sacramento Kings making that jump, which means Mm -hmm. the Detroit Pistons fell to number five. Indiana Pacers at number six. Portland Trail Blazers at number seven. New Orleans Pelicans at number eight. San Antonio Spurs at number nine. The Washington Wizards at number 10. And then rounding out the lottery, the New York Knicks at 11. The Clippers at 12. The Charlotte Hornets at 13. And the Cleveland Cavaliers at the back end of the lottery at 14. So, Stephen, this is your moment, my friend. We're going to count Let's down go. 1 through 14. You're going to give how you would do this. We'll go pick by pick. I can sort of react to, to each one, give some of my thoughts. We're going to go pick by pick here. So, number one at the top, Stephen, this is your mock draft. This is your last lottery input. Who would you take? At number one, if you were the Orlando Magic. I'm going to cut way. you guys off real quick. Just for the audience sake, number 12 is actually going to be, uh, isn't that going to be Oklahoma City, not the Clippers? Yes, it is Oklahoma City. Okay. You are 100% correct. Okay, just for the is. audience sake. That's it why is, Kevin's the best in the business. That uh, That is why Kevin's the best in the also business. Also, Orlando does have a number one option. His name is Mo Bamba. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and Okay. <laughs> and just just for the audience, I, I apologize about that blunder. We are literally going like live as we're recording this podcast. A lot's happening at once. Um, and, and just one more tidbit before Steven gives his pick, just for the audience at home. As I'm looking at our Google Sheets while we are trying to go through this mock draft exercise, I feel like I'm on an episode of SNL Celebrity Jeopardy because I have greatest player in NBA history 
off to the right. And in that column, Kevin wrote Lonzo Ball because he always has to bring mm. up Lonzo Ball in every basketball conversation we have. So that is that is our Sean Connery celebrity Jeopardy moment of this podcast episode. So we made that correction. It is the Oklahoma City Thunder getting in the pick from the Clippers at number 12. Thank you, Kevin, for that correction. But without further ado, Steven, number one, Orlando Magic, who are you taking? And I'm just as excited now as I was. Shout out to the entire No Salience crew who did a phenomenal job of previewing the draft lottery selection progress. I think I saw like over 70 viewers um, while we're competing with a bunch of other places trying to uh, stream live. Our, our No Ceilings team did a phenomenal job. Shout out to, you know, Rucker, Corey, Metcalf, and Albert. Um, but, you know, seeing Orlando get the number one pick, Nathan, this was the one team the one team that if they got the number one pick, my top pick on, or my top player on my big board would not go there. Literally any other team gets this top pick and my number one player on my big board would have went here. But because it's the Orlando Magic, because they need a top option like yesterday, Paolo Boncaro is my number one guy because I think offensively he's the most NBA ready defensively I think that they got enough talent around him that are growing together there's cohesion on this roster which is good he's in a low-key city so he doesn't have to necessarily worry about anything happening off the court like in Orlando the media availability is awesome but it's not like playing in the Mecca it's not like playing in LA or in the Bay or in or in Houston or wherever like you're playing in Orlando you can focus on basketball. I, I just think that this is a perfect ecosystem for Apollo Boncaro to be the absolute best version of himself. That's why I have a number one, Nathan. I, I agree with you 100%. I do think it's a great fit for him in terms of some of the off-the-court reasons that you laid out. Also, on the court, we said it. This team does not have a number one offensive option in terms of do everything yourself, go get me a bucket, completely self-created by you, at that size, 6'10", 250 pounds, with what we were able to see from him at Duke, creating out of the mid-post, out of post-ups, um, off the dribble in isolation, even catch-and-shoot looks, um, the stutter rip. Every, every move that he brought to the table from an offensive standpoint, there are so many ways that he can score off self-generated offense, but then he gets to play off the ball at times with some of the point guards that we can talk about with, with Markel Fultz and Jalen Suggs and Cole Anthony. He gets to play off of somebody like Franz Wagner, who's a secondary or tertiary playmaker within that offense. Wendell Carter is a better passer at the center position, likely than give him credit for. There's ways that Paolo can take over this offense, but at the same time, he doesn't have to do every single thing himself. And for a team that finished with the 19th rated defense in the NBA per synergy, they do have some players on that roster that can may, maybe not fully mask or hide any of Paolo's shortcomings, at least very early in his career, but can help bring him along on that end of the floor and, and not make him feel like he has to do everything on the defensive side of the ball as well. I think making him, choosing him with the number one pick, kind of inserting him in there as one of those last puzzle pieces, gives you that young core that can continue to grow together, continue to learn how to communicate, play off of one another, defend together, I think that would be an excellent fit for the Atlanta Magic. So I have no complaints with who you went with at number one. OKC, Stephen, who you going with the Thunder at number two? My number one player on my big board here, Jabari Smith Jr. I just think that 
you know, the passes, the pick and rolls, the pick and pops that he's going to be able to run with players such as, you know, Josh Giddy, Shea Gugas Alexander, the defense that he's going to bring to this team. You know, he's not necessarily going to be the defensive identity, but he's a building block and a like almost a cornerstone, if you will, Nathan. I think that everything that's kind of being critiqued about him as a number one pick or a number one prospect is on the offensive end. And listen, like I get it. I understand that that he doesn't necessarily have a bag, but I think running off the ball, setting screens, running within the flow of the offense, um, working in the mid post. Uh, getting opportunities to play with guys that aren't necessarily chuckers. So he's going to be incentivized to move the ball. And then defensively, I mean, just being able to switch between any level of the defense, I think is going to be huge for Oklahoma city. They have another pick coming later, which I am thrilled with the way that this draft process laid out, because I think with the player that I have them picking later, I'm not going to drop the name. If they land both of these guys, I mean, you're talking about a very exciting young Oklahoma City Thunder that has the potential to have every type of player in a hierarchy that could equal playoff success in the coming seasons as they continue to grow and build together. So I got Jabari Smith Jr. as my number two pick, Nathan. Not that I agreed at every point during the year when people wanted to just trash Auburn's guards that they had when they talked about Jabari Smith and Walt Kessler. They didn't have guards who could get him the ball or whatever they wanted to say. <laughs> That's well, not how I talk, Nathan. That's that, not how I talk. Now, I wasn't just pointing out you, Stephen. I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't even thinking about you when I said that comment. I was thinking about all of the social media trolls that, that I had to deal with over the course of the year. Um, when, when you have tried to stand up for Jabari Smith or even when I've tried to stand up for Jabari Smith, that was a very regular comment that was said, not yeah. just on social media, but on mainstream media fronts as well that won't be an excuse anymore though man because if he goes to oklahoma city he's got sga and josh giddy who are able to get him the ball in any spot that he needs it it limits how much self-creation he needs to do by himself and when he doesn't have to create off the dribble when he doesn't have to go manufacture his own offense when he can catch the ball in the post when he can get it at the at the elbow and the nail when he can come off of screens right and and be able to get shots up from the perimeter he can just catch and think about scoring whether that's going straight at the basket off a line drive and not having to go east west or it's shooting immediately off the catch Jabari Smith can get the ball in the spots that he is most efficient at that he proved that he can hit very tough shots all throughout the course of his freshman year at Auburn and the Oklahoma City Thunder, we talked about with Top of Thunder, man, they just, they need shot makers from all over the floor. They need offense, but they need guys who can hit open perimeter shots. There is nobody better at the top of this draft to hit open perimeter shots than Jabari Smith. So you're two for two, Stephen. I agree with both of these picks so far. I'm assuming we're going to agree three for three, but who knows? You always like to hit me with some kind of wild card <laughs> in this podcast. Who are you going with for the Rockets at number three? Nah, Nathan, I think that we're going to keep the hits coming. Uh a player that even really early in the season when we were talking about, and I'm talking about, you know, the draft Twitter, you know, the, the collective we hear um, when we were putting out favorite places for him, I would like to think I kind of led the charge on this uh, Chet Holmgren to Houston. I, I just think it, it fits so well, man. First off the, the defense on this team is atrocious and I'm not going to say that Chet Holmgren is going to come in and they're going to be a top 10 defense in his rookie season. But what I am going to say, Nathan, is that 
you're drafting a defensive anchor. You have the electric offensive talent that you wanted last year. You got a, a big who can play make and is showing flashes of creation. Now you're drafting a big who can just, you can funnel things towards him and you can trust that, you know, Nathan, you know, I call him the Venus flytrap. As much as people yes, think, as much as people think that they were going to get away with stuff in college, I can't wait to see Chet Holmgren completely surprise NBA level athletes with like, okay, bud, like I saw the college highlights. That was cute, but you're in the big leagues now. Let me try to take you to task. And one of the favorite comments I've heard about Chet Holmgren all season long, I think was from our good friend, our good friend Chuck from Chucking Darts was that he's still going to be as tall as he is in the NBA. I think that sometimes we just think that guys are going to shrink when they move up a level. He's still going to be just as tall and long in the NBA as he was in college. And that's going to create a lot of problems for offenses that aren't ready to deal with that type of length. And not to mention, Nathan, you're much higher on the offense than I am. But here's the thing. In Houston, he's going to be able to move the ball. The high lows between him and Shangoon are going to be must-watch. The, the cutting with guys like Jacob, I think, is going to be must-watch. Must the two-man action between him and Green or, you know, Porter Jr., I think is just going to be tremendous. Stashian Knicks has earned a, a spot on this roster. I think some pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop sets between them would even be fun. So with everything that Houston has going on right now, throwing Chet Holmgren into the mix, I just think it's going to make them one of the must-watch G League teams in the league next season. G League teams? <laughs> or excuse me, um, <laughs> league pass teams, excuse me. I was going to say, I, I, I thought we were just ripping the Houston Rockets there for, for a second. Good, good <laughs> no, 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 no. Shout out to all the Houston Rockets fans that have put it's me It's not in impossible for Chet Holmgren to end up on the, the Rio Grande Valley Vipers, but I, I would expect him to be with the Houston Rockets for the majority of the year, and I would agree with you that even though they might not be one of the best basketball teams in the NBA, they are going to be a league pass darling. As they They're going to be so much fun. Thank you as for As they were this past year, man. No, no, no worries. We are, we are literally firing from the hip on this podcast. I already had my one blunder, all right? It's only natural that you got to get one blunder. In I was doing so well. good up until the end. I'm so sorry, Houston Rockets, but I hope that you got the gist of what I was saying. Like, Chet Holmgren on Houston is just going to be much watched, you know, <laughs> league pass basketball. So – I don't need to go in depth on an evaluation on Chet Holmgren. I do just want to say one thing is that th this whole notion that's been bubbling over on social media about how Chet Holmgren can't average 20 plus points per game. I, I still think that's comical because the dude averaged 14.1 points per game at Gonzaga, quite literally feeding off of the scraps uh, of everyone else. Like a yeah. lot of his offense was completely manufactured for him in terms of he was basically viewed as a play finisher, whether that was easy dump off passes around the basket or trailer three-point shots. And then you factor in some of the offensive rebounding, some of the putbacks he was able to get. He was like, he was a play finisher at Gonzaga. And I loved when he came on NBA today on ESPN and they asked him, what is something that you're going to be able to do in the NBA that you didn't get to show all of at the college level? He said, create my own shot. Create my own mm -hmm. offense. I 100% agree with him, Stephen. You know that I've sat here on this podcast and I've said, I really wonder what would have happened if Chet could have caught the ball in some of the same spots that Paolo and Jabari did on their respective teams. What more of the offense could have Chet shown at Gonzaga? And we saw very, very many flashes of Chet being used um, out of some of the same spots at Gonzaga when you compare it to the other two players. When he did catch the ball at the elbow, for example, I mean, 
this is a guy you, you mentioned his height and his legacy, but he can shoot over anybody. And that jump Correct. shot's not going to go away. It's only going to get better. And then as he continues to fill out, get stronger, when he does take the ball and he rips it and he goes off the drive, like you won't be able to knock him off of his spots in the same way that you can right now, like two to three years down the road. So I just think just the skill that he already has, his comfort level, shooting the ball from the perimeter, handling the basketball on the break, you'll be able to translate more of that into the half court as his body continues to fill out. Then you get everything you mentioned with the defense. I still think he's the number one player in the draft. It would not shock me if this was the order that honestly happened on draft night. That's why I will say we're, we're three for three in agreement. It would not shock me if this is how it ended up. I personally, I think I would still take Chet Holmgren at number one, but that's because that's just because of how high on him I am, despite mm-hmm. the pal of fit. But this could very well be a great summary of what happens uh, on draft night. So we will, we will move past those top three guys. So those are pretty much the consensus top three guys on any big board you want to look at the draft, as they say, can really begin at number four, where I think the majority of buzz over the last few weeks is this would be between Jay Ivey and Shane Sharp. And I'm very curious if you go with one of those two players, Stephen, or if you introduce another name into the mix, but Sacramento jumps up. I don't know if they have a need in the backcourt per se, but what is the argument I personally made to you? We talked about this with the Thunder. BPA, baby. Same thing with the Kings. BPA, Stephen. So who are you going with for the Sacramento Kings at number four? And to me, like, it's neck and neck for BPA. But Sacramento getting the fourth pick is a home run. So why not go for a home run swing? Like, let's just take Shaden and Sharp here. I think that okay. Sacramento, like, I would not be mad if they went Ivy, but I mean, you're talking about, you know, having a guy like Davion Mitchell on this team, you know, you Dante DiVincenzo may or may not continue to be on this team. Uh, there's, there's just so much that, that they can do in the backcourt, but adding Shane and Sharp gives you legitimate wing size. Um, probably going to start off playing a lot of two in the NBA, but who knows if he develops and, you know, gets his strength up. You know, that was that was the point that I would bring up is that you we we saw Sacramento still take Davion Mitchell and be comfortable wanting to run an experiment with these three guard lineups between Fox, um, Halliburton, and and Davion Mitchell. Well, yep. if you introduce Shane Sharp into the equation, he's six six with length. Like he's yep. he's not suited physically to play the three yet, but could eventually become a guy who maybe at least in stretches during NBA games, you're throwing him at the three with his other two guards on the floor. Now you're talking about that much athletic pop Mm. on the floor at once could be a scary proposition, especially in transition for other teams. Yeah. And Nathan, you and I both discussed that. Like we think that we know everything right now, as far as like how these players are going to play out, Nathan, there's a, you know, shout out to Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Like (laughs) there's a universe out there, Nathan, where Shaden Sharp could be the best player in this entire draft class. I mean, and if we look at how impactful wings are or, you know, just tremendous guards with creation ability, like that's what's dominating the playoffs right now. It's not, it's not the big man, you know, like they dominate the regular season, but there's players like Shaden Sharp in the playoffs right now, Nathan, that are, that are cooking you know, or have had their teams advance significantly, you know, deep into the playoffs. So adding a player like this, who is just electric offensively, a guy who projects to be able to score at least at two levels, maybe initially, uh, we'll see if he can work on that third, that mid-range ability. And then defensively, I mean, 
I worry about defense as a whole in Sacramento. And if you're drafting shade and sharp to play defense, uh, you know, bless your heart. But I just think that playing off of Sabonis also is another interesting wrinkle, a player who can get tremendous looks for his guards. I mean, we talk about Nikola Jokic and how, how tremendous he is at getting players open. I think that just a step down DeMontis Sabonis is one of the best passing bigs in the entire league. So it'll be interesting to see how Shane and Sharp could play off of guys like De'Aaron Fox. And then on the opposite side of the floor, you got DeMontis Sabonis. So, you know, Rashawn Holmes, will he stay there? I don't know. But I mean, the Sacramento Kings getting Shane and Sharp, I think would be uh, kind of like a beacon of hope for the future of this team. Four for four, Steven. I think that was the right pick to make for the Kings. And I, regardless of how those other top three guys play out in the order on draft night, I fully expect the Kings to take Shane Sharp um, at number four. That seems like a very Kings pick to me, but for once it could actually be the right pick for, for the franchise moving forward, given the long-term upside. So Detroit Pistons at yeah. number five, Steven, you can go the direction that was actually <laughs> predicted the team would go months yep. ago. Like we listened to Chad Ford at one point on multiple podcast fronts report from his sources within front offices that Jay Ivey was going to be a target of the Detroit Pistons, that they loved pairing him, the idea of pairing him with Kate Cunningham to create one of the most young and dynamic backcourts uh, potentially a prolific backcourt combination when you factor in how they can play off of one another in the NBA. And when Chad was making those comments, it made all of us kind of per perk our ears up a little bit because <laughs> that was when Detroit could have had like the number two pick or even mm. go potentially a number one, for example, when he was doing some of those mock drafts and like he would still put Jane Ivey to the Pistons in those mocks. So do you have the Pistons in your lottery mock, Steven? getting that guy or should I say possibly getting their guy just given the intel yeah Nathan I think that well for one you know my in terms of my big board the way that I've done my mock so far has gone player two then one then three then four and it's going to continue on with number five here for Detroit I am going to do BPA I'm going to take Jaden Ivey here and I just think that you know Detroit, when I listen to guys like, you know, Coach Coach Bryce Simon, you know, over at Motor City Hoops, you know, great friend of, of both of us and friend of the show here, the, the two things that he said that they needed is they needed a big and at five, I'm kind of hesitant to give them one, or they needed a boost in athleticism. So right now, Jaden Ivey would be the, the second part of that, you know, the answer yeah. to the athleticism factor. You know, Cade has that old man game that I constantly refer to where like the game just kind of happens around him. It happens at his speed. And even as a rookie, like you can see that he's going to grow into a player that doesn't get shook all that often on the offensive side of the ball. Having a guy who can cut off of a playmaker, we saw that this season at Purdue. Having a guy that is a it projects to be a legitimate threat from deep, at least respectable and a guy who could also help you out with playmaking responsibilities too. So you get a second banana to Cade Cunningham here at number five. I don't think that falling to five is a, is a kiss of death to Detroit, even though we, we were just like, oh man, really like this happened to, to Detroit? Because as much as some people think that after the first pick or maybe the top three that this draft really falls off, I still think top five, Nathan. I, I, I don't see that vast of a difference one through five, like there is another one of these universes out there where Ivy is the number one prospect in this class, even though we think that it's one of the big three. 
Jay Nivey can play off of all the talent that the Detroit Pistons already have in place. He can also take point guard reps next to Kate Cunningham, or they could bring him off the bench, or even if they start him, leave him in the game with the majority of the second unit and give him point guard reps against other backup NBA units to give him more experience in that type of a role. I, I would be very, very curious to see what happens with Killian Hayes. Um, yeah. if, if this is the selection of Jay Nye, because that was, we talked about with Bryce, that was the backcourt that Pistons fans envisioned when they drafted Kate Cunningham, you expected Killian and Cade to be able to play off of one another and to, to certain degrees, they complement each other. But as, as we talked about it, like Killian's much better when he has guys who are immediately threats to either catch and shoot the basketball or cut. Uh, with some of that space that's created and, and, and get to the basket and be able to finish those types of plays, those, those baseline cuts, things of that nature. Cade is not doing really either of those things, at least at a high level during his rookie year. So kind of by default, you're sort of playing two players next to one another who don't fully complement each other, at least not at this point in their careers. Ivy, it's a whole different story because Ivy completely plays very well off the ball with what he can do next to a Cade Cunningham. And I think that Ivy will be able to, to leverage the offense in his favor with Kate on the floor, but also, like I said, be able to run the second unit, be that type of a guard um, and, and, and get reps in, in both areas. And I think just having the both of them on the floor puts the defense in a bind because on one, one hand with Kate, you have one of the more talented shot makers that we have who's coming to the NBA and now will look to further establish himself um, in year two. And then you have Jay Nivey, who, as you talked about, Stephen, he is an athletic blur. Um, in transition as well as in the half court if he gets downhill going right he's nearly impossible to to keep in front of so that that could be one of the more dynamic backcourts in the NBA and and I would agree with the sentiment that that is not a consolation prize in the slightest I would have Jay Nivey still I've gone back and forth man I've gone back and forth with having him or Shane at that four spot I've I've come back around to having Ivy it's nip tuck it's nip tuck spot so I think the Pistons would, would get a massive win here with Ivy at number five. So now it could get really interesting with yeah. the Indiana Pacers at number six. There, there's a player on the board who we've <laughs> talked about in those ceilings would be an excellent fit with what they've already established in a young team in Indiana. But maybe you go another direction. Who are you going at number six? Yeah, this is where I think that, Nathan, we it was a fun ride, dude. I think that we went five for five there. Um <laughs> This is where you start getting to boards at no ceilings and you're just like, okay, this is why we're a collective because we, we view the games through different, you know, prisms or, you know, through, through different perspectives. And I got to go with my BPA, dude. Like I'm sticking with your philosophy here. The best player left on my board to go into Indiana, Dyson Daniels. And when I think about him and Halliburton in a backcourt together, oh my goodness. Like you're, you're getting two kind of jumbo playmakers uh, that that see the game very well, uh, very instinctual passers. and But with Dyson, you're getting a connector, right? Like you're getting a guy who can play off of him, who can play with the ball in his hand. Uh, you're getting a guy who could probably, even as he bulks up, give you a little bit of minutes at the three, which would be huge for Indiana because, I mean, that's kind of where the team is lacking is a little bit at that forward spot. Um, and you still got Miles Turner, potentially. I don't know. He's rumored to tra be traded every offseason. And then Jalen Smith <laughs> had a great season in Phoenix. And, you know, maybe he continues that in Indiana. I mean, there's there's still some, you know, 
Mr. Jackson in Indiana is looking good as well. So they got a good stable of big men there, even though they just traded Sabonis. Let's keep the guard play going, man. And a guy who could potentially even play the three there, you know, TJ Warren, I don't know how he's going to look if he plays for them anymore. So I'm going to get the guy who could play really good defense, like one of the best perimeter defenders, if not the, uh, on in, in this draft class. And then a guy who improved as a jump shooter and is a, a good playmaker too. I, th- I just Art, think that he works there. I'm assuming you're in the same camp as, as Maxwell, when he talked about how there's still upside with some of Dyson Daniels shot. Oh yeah. I'm assuming you're buying into that as well, because if you weren't buying into some of that same upside, the argument could be made that him and Halliburton are, are maybe two like similar players, right? So mm-hmm. that might be a potential collision in the backcourt. But if you envision Dyson also becoming more of a shot maker than he is right now and further growing into his offensive game, similar to how even Halliburton has, right, in, in his first few years in the NBA, yeah. like I'm assuming you see that same evolution that they can better complement each other regardless of who has the ball in their hands. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Halliburton, he's shown that he is a for real NBA shooter from deep, right? So both of these guys, as what we saw, you know, shout out to our friends at Instat, you know, the latter latter portions of the the G League season where, you know, it looked like Dyson actually made changes to his shooting motion and timing and the shot looked pretty. And it wasn't just off of, you know, standstill shots. There was a few step backs in, in his bag too, so I think having two jumbo playmakers, I I see your point, right? Like I get the fact that like they're both kind of dribble pass shoot guys, but I think that you can't have too many of those guys. And plus the the value that he brings defensively, whereas yeah, the defense is really the the biggest thing to call out. They they would, he would give them a a legitimate, legitimate defensive weapon on the perimeter. Which helps with Halliburton because as great as a defender as he was in college, we're not necessarily seeing it to that level um, at the NBA, but maybe his just offensive role is just too big, right? So I think having a guy who can kind of help him take possessions off and kind of help him catch his breath and help run sets through him as well, I think that that actually helps Halliburton and makes him a more threatening player. And again, both of these guys at their best versions of themselves, they're going to be able to shoot off of one another too. So it just spaces the floor and, and it makes Indiana a threat from multiple angles on the court, in my opinion. Portland. At seven, I have one name in mind where I think you're going to go. I don't know if that's what you're going to do. What would you do with the Trailblazers picking number seven? Yeah, probably my second man crush in this uh, draft class. If if we're going in numerical order, and and Nathan, I think that you're right. Uh, Benedict Matherin, I think, is just a a fantastic fit. You know, a guy who's measured at about 6'6", 6'7", might be a little smaller, but we'll see here very soon with the combine measurements coming out. A guy who just is a tough shot maker, you know, and I I don't mean that to say that like he only takes tough shots. I mean that to say that he's tough, comma, and he is a shot maker. You know, he's he's NBA built already. Uh, he he's very kind of kind of just muscularly assembled, and then on top of that, he can run uh, off of screens, hit dynamic shots coming off of movement. He improved as a playmaker with the ball in his hand. Luckily. If you look at Portland, they still have Damian Lillard. So that's not necessarily going to be asked of him. But I do imagine Portland asking him to be like, hey, man, like, can we see what you do a little bit with some shot creation? Who knows what's going to happen with their big man rotation? Uh, You know, Joseph Nurkic might be out the door. 
you know, they, they have some young, interesting pieces. So I think that Matherin will get a little bit of room to grow, but I, I love his defensive ability. He's far more athletically um, talented than he gets credit for. There's a number of times watching him play at Arizona where I saw him climb a ladder to re- reject a shot from behind. Um, very competitive on the glass too. I think that he kind of fits that Portland mindset where it's us against the world. I could definitely see him and Damian Lillard, you know, hitting it off, you know, doing post-game interviews with one another, having videos of them in the gym, just shooting all day. Like, I, I just think that he fits that Portland mold and mindset, and he does fill a positional need, in my opinion. One of the things that was Portland's downfall for, for a number of years, right, was relying too much on the small backcourt pairing. Yeah. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, you – in theory, still have that small pairing with Dame and, and Anthony Simons with what Simons has become. But bringing in Matherin, who I would project him right now, at least, as more of a two yeah, than a me three, that, Matherin gives you that option to be able to go with a bigger player at that two-guard spot who can play off of Dame in, in every aspect that you talked about. He was an excellent cutter in college. We know he's going to be able to hit wide-open shots. Um, lob thread along the baseline transition yep. player plays really hard isn't like isn't one of the best defenders per se in this draft class but because of how hard he competes he can still offer value within certain team schemes so yeah I I, I don't know if I personally would go Matherin at number seven just based off of my board but I get why you're going there and I get I do get the fit right I think it is a good fit for Matherin and the Blazers. So I won't knock the pick there at number seven. Um, so let's move mm-hmm. to number eight, the New Orleans Pelicans. I know who I would go with at okay. this number eight spot. And that player has not been selected yet. I would love for a certain someone to end up with this particular Pelicans team. I don't know where you're going to go, but where would you go with the number eight pick? Well, let me just lead off by saying that, again, I have gone – in order one through seven so far on my big board i have gone two one three four five six seven i'm keeping the bpa train rolling i am going to take jonathan davis to the there it is that is exactly who i would love to end up in a pelicans uniform at this point and here's the thing he he's been compared by Corey toba shout out to Corey. he's one of the best in the business i'm glad that i'm on his team He's compared him to Brandon Ingram. And at first I was kind of hesitant. You mean hesitant. Brandon Roy. Brandon Roy. No, he's compared him to like a, a smaller Brandon Ingram. I'm I have sure. not heard Corey say those words. But that is, is he, that is interesting to say the least. It's either him or Ryan Rollins. I, excuse me, I could, be, I could be mixing those two up. But I see Ryan Rollins and Jonathan Davis in a lot of the same light. So maybe if he is talking about it in Ryan Rollins, I do see a lot of that similarity within Jonathan Davis. So putting him on a team with Brandon Ingram. I I love that pairing. I have compared Jonathan Davis to a Brandon Roy. And I just think that the maturity to his game, I think that he fits the Pelicans very well because even though he was a star at Wisconsin, like he was just a garbage man on that team. Like literally anything that needed to be done, he did it with a smile on his face. The fact that he played in the NCAA tournament injured, when he could have hurt his draft stock like severely, but he loves basketball that much. I've affectionately referred to Jonathan Davis as Johnny Basketball 
because to me, he encompasses everything that you should love about the game of basketball. He's not positionally versatile, but I think on New Orleans, they have the length at the wings, the forwards, and, you know, shout out to Valanciunas at the five. Like, they have versatility in the front court to where you can draft a guy who's a 6'4 shooting guard, maybe 6'5", depending on who's measuring him that day, I guess. But, you know, kind of a smaller guard. Uh, not the most efficient, but I think that injuries and just simply being the only person on the team that can make a, you know, a, a contested bucket really hurt his efficiency numbers. Uh, the the lack of talent around him at Wisconsin really hurt his assist numbers, but he competes at every single aspect of the game of basketball. And again, big fan of what New Orleans did in the postseason. They're scrappy. They're in your face. They're gritty. They're Brit. They're bring your lunch pill to work type team. There's not another player in the draft that exemplifies that more so than Johnny Basketball. You were an avid listener of this podcast before you became a co-host, Stephen. What yes, was sir. the number one thing that held me back with giving the Pelicans too much credit in terms of moving up in the West standings before the year started? It was the fact that I couldn't see anybody in that backcourt playing even good perimeter defense, right? Like, like good perimeter point of attack defense I couldn't see one person who could do that now Alvarado to their credit has really emerged as somebody and his game has actually been able to translate at least on the defensive end to the NBA setting but outside of him who else is really giving you that in the backcourt Johnny Davis (laughs) (laughs) you're right and for all the offense for everything I love about McCollum offensively it is it is not McCollum um Johnny Davis would give that immediately and you're talking about a team, especially when Zion comes back with Brandon mm-hmm. Ingram, with McCollum. Davis could be like a fourth option offensively Scary. on that team. Not having to be the number one guy, being able to take advantage of everything that he showed he was more than capable of off the ball. More than Wisconsin. willing. More than willing and more than capable. Like his, his lowest ranked play type on synergy for the year was isolation scoring. That, that one-on-one ability, a lot of people had questions about it, but I still think it will be better in time in the NBA. I think there's still more to be unlocked those one-on-one game, but even if there isn't, even if this is the Johnny Davis we get for his NBA career with just slightly improved efficiencies in certain areas over the course of his career, this is the player that we're going to get that's one hell of a player for the Pelicans to have in that lineup to be able to play off of all of the other do-it-yourself bucket getters in the lineup. I think that is a home run fit for the New Orleans Pelicans, despite somebody falling in this mock draft, (laughs) who I would not, I personally would not let fall. Even despite that, I think the Johnny Davis fit is too good, too good to pass up a number eight. So I agree with you on that one. Number nine, do the San Antonio Spurs, Stephen, draft the most Spurs player in this draft? Do you have them going in number direction? Who, who would you go with number nine? Well, I don't know what you would classify as the most Spurs player. There's a contingent of people that think that's an international guy. There's a contingent of people that just think, you know, as like batting a single guy. Uh, I'm going to go with my best player available, which I know that you'll respect. I'm gonna go Malachi Branham here. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Malachi for San Antonio. Man, what what did Keegan Murray do to you, man? Seriously, like I know we've he, talked about him on your big board and where you have him ranked. You don't have him as a top ten guy. Like what what did Keegan Murray do to you, man? 
He didn't do anything to me, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you what Malachi Branham did for me. Okay. Yeah. Malachi Branham came into the season. People knew about him, right? But he wasn't projected to be what we saw now. And if you look at what San Antonio is doing, could they use forward help? Absolutely. You know, I mean, they got Vassell, you know, they, they can take they, a big, they can take Jalen Durant, who we've they mocked take, in multiple scenarios in those ceilings. Absolutely. And I love Durant. I, I love him so much. But to me, if you're San Antonio and you watched, uh, you know, a team that was vying for the playoffs, Nathan, what was the one thing that they needed on this team? They needed somebody else other than Deontay Murray who could do anything with a ball in their hand. And Deontay Murray, as talented as he is, you know, the triple doubles that he's posted, you know, as talented as a defender as he is too, I'm envision- and Josh Primo is shown a lot right like he's he's proved a lot of the naysayers wrong in terms of just flashes like he's still a little bit of a way but he looks more real than he did whenever he was drafted that night so malachi branham comes in has a very mature game can help alleviate the pressure off of deontay murray can help the san antonio spurs have another shot creator have a legit shooter from deep and can really just help run multiple units on this team and give them a little bit more versatility. Having, having Murray or Deontay Murray and then having Malachi Branham, there's really not a weakness on either side of the ball. Whereas like you can put Deontay Murray on the more difficult guard matchup and then you have Branham helping out. But then on the opposite side of the ball, you have two legitimate ball handlers and scoring threats. So I think that that helps San Antonio more long-term as we watch Vassell and as we watch Primo grow in to larger roles. And look, Jakob Pertl, he's not a star, but I mean, he's shown that he can kind of hold up his own. So when I'm looking at who could be taken here for San Antonio, I'm getting Deontay Murray some help as a shot creator. I have Malachi Branham as a top 10 player, regardless of if I maybe thought that there could have been a few better fits there at that spot. I can't knock the Branham argument of Mm -hmm. taking him in the top 10. At the end of the day, having a weapon on your team who at any point offensively can just go for 20 to 30 points on any given night if you were not paying attention to him. If he's the fourth or fifth option on your team and you're telling me that's the kind of offensive threat that you can deploy at any given moment, that is a luxury for NBA teams to have. And I think as long as he does what he needs to do and show what he needs to show during workouts, during interviews with teams, I would fully expect him to be a lottery pick at this point, and it would not shock me if he goes top 10, like you and I would have him ranked on our big boards at this point. It's not just us. There's, there's a bunch of people at this point, I think, who have yeah. um, top 10 respected names in, in, in this field. So I, I like the brand of pick in, in the top 10. So And don't get, at- too, don't, don't, don't get too sad because the name that everybody is probably <laughs> – and look, I'm not just, like, trying to be contrarian just to be cool. Like – this is just know, honestly I how I evaluate the guys. And Nathan, if I can just lead off because I feel like I'm getting just go for on. it. Washington Wizards at number 10. Go for it. Washington Wizards at number 10. And just to let you know, like how much I like this pick for them, I deviated from my best player available. Keegan Murray isn't even my 10th best guy on my board right now, but I like the pick for Washington because I think that playing alongside Kristaps Porzingis, um, low key I think is actually really nice for for KP right like he's getting more help as a as a weak side rim protector for Keegan Murray 
he's getting another guy who can bang in the paint and like has no problem doing that. That puts Chris Stops Porzingis in more, you know, um, optimal, more, more optimal roles for his sake. And then it gives Bradley Bill another pick and roll option. So I like the weak side rim protection that he brings on this team, the rebounding, the the post playmaking, the fact that he and Kristaps Porzingis could probably run some unique four or five, you know, high low action, maybe even some pick and roll sets because Keegan Murray does have a little bit of handle to his game. And I think that it makes the the Washington Wizards front court a little bit more versatile, right? Like the New York Knicks largely get criticized because they run an archaic system where their one can only play the one, the two to two and so on and so forth. The Washington Wizards are kind of similar in that aspect, but I think introducing Keegan Murray here for this team as a 10th pick, it modernizes their roster. It helps out Kristaps Porzingis be his best self. And then it gives Bradley Bill another guy that he can run some sets with as well. So I got Keegan Murray here at number 10, Nathan, despite him not being 10th on my board. No, no complaints for me with, with this pick. I mean, Keegan Murray, this is another guy we talk about. Is he a, a number one or even a number two option within an NBA offense, or is he just going to be a guy who is probably best suited as a number three, but is just a really damn good NBA player? That's what he would get to be with this current Washington Wizards roster construction right now, where you still likely are bringing back Bradley Beal. I, I, we, we, we try to speculate all these trades with Bradley <laughs> Beal, but just like Dane, he doesn't seem to want to go anywhere. So he's probably going to sign that contract and be back with the Washington Wizards. You have Chris Porzingis, who you just traded for, who can be a number two option. You have Keegan Murray in the fold, who, hell, some nights he doesn't even have to be number three. Like Kyle Kuzma is still on that team. Kyle Kuzma still wants exactly. to get his shots up. Keegan can be like a, a fourth option some nights depending on the lineup and a guy who just checks so many boxes who's one of the smartest players at seeing the floor and understanding what's going on on both sides of the ball in this draft class he's he's a very sure thing that the wizards would be able to get in number 10 that in my opinion would be tremendous value for them at that pick new york knicks at number 11 yes clicks clicks for knicks baby who are you (laughs) who are you who are you giving the knicks at number 11 Nathan, I got all the way down to 11 whenever we finished watching the draft order. And again, shout out to the guys at No Ceilings NBA on their YouTube channel, No Ceilings TV, where the guys just, they did a tremendous job, right? Um, I I had a hard time with the Knicks because, listen, I listened to CP come on the Draft Act podcast with, with Corey and Rucker. And the biggest thing that Corey talks about, and again, shout out to Corey, he's the GOAT. He talks about modernizing this roster. And I think the one player that's left that if everything checks out and goes according to plan could yield top five value, but there are legit concerns about him. I know where you're going. I hope so. I I let in pretty hard with that. But AJ Griffin at 11 to the New York Knicks for one I mean, he he spaces the floor, something that the Knicks desperately need. Like, even if his medicals aren't, like, A+, plus, you know, he still spaces the floor. His defense, in theory, uh, you know, at the next level, looks like it'll check out. He's not a selfish guy. He can, he can run point of, the, of attack defense. He rebounds well. We haven't really got to see him do much with the ball in his hand. I don't know if, you know, Coach Tibbs is going to be the – the type of guy to give him that type of experimental development. But I think, you know, a three and D player who has 
the potential to be a top five player in this in this draft class if everything checks out I think getting that guy at 11 for a Knicks team that desperately needs like a glimmer of hope after the season that they had I think it makes a lot of sense here at 11 Nathan I definitely think Knicks fans would love the pick there's no reason for them not to love the pick we're talking about bringing one of New York's own home and as you mentioned he was my best available too he was my 10th best prospect and they're getting him here at 11 with the upside factor if he is everything that he needs to be clean slate of health you are talking about somebody who at one point especially preseason Steven I mean I had him in that top five top six conversation he was one of the very first players that I talked about on the draft deeper podcast for the 2022 draft cycle that is how highly regarded he was to to Tyler Rucker and, and I when we did that podcast episode so I think at 11 given the situation, given the type of player that he is, he seems to be a very high character guy off the court. Those are the types of personalities you want to bring into the New York market, plus all the upside at the wing position. I agree with you. I think that would be a good swing for the Knicks to take, even if some of these other teams in in the top 10 of the lottery are a little hesitant because of some of the medical stuff that could come back. The medicals are good enough, right? And they give you optimism for everything moving forward, even if the rookie year could possibly be a little shaky. We've seen that happen with some of these star players, too, who end up being more in the NBA than based on what their first year, even their first or second years, looked like in the NBA. If everything can check out and move in an optimistic direction, I think A.J. Griffin could be a fine target for the New York Knicks. And again, I don't think fans would be mad at that pick at all. So number 12, we're back on the board again. Oklahoma City Thunder. Jabari Smith was the pick at number two. I think I know where you're going. And if you're going here, this could be a massive, massive home run draft for the Oklahoma City Thunder when we're talking about value. Who are you going with the number 12? Yeah, I mean, uh, the guy who I have 11th on my board, I've had as high as I believe five at one point. Uh, I really love his fit on this team, and he addresses a major need that this team would still have after they drafted Barry Smith Jr. That's a guy who can roll to the basket. That's a guy who can defend the rim. I like him to be able to switch on the perimeter a lot. I don't think that that has been discussed enough. He's got tremendous upside as a post playmaker, which is dangerous considering the playmakers that this team already has on their roster. Nathan, I'm going Jalen Duran out of Memphis. I, I like him a lot on this team, a, a, lo- a legit lob threat for the dynamic playmaking guards that they have. He'll have great floor spacing with, with those said players and then adding Jabari Smith Jr. Now you have a modernized NBA roster that could, if everything works out correctly, and as I suspect it as it should, this is a team that might be – you know, on the come up quickly in the Western Commerce based on the age of some of these other rosters and the defense that this front court would add to the playmaking of the backcourt. Nathan, I would, if I'm Oklahoma City and I walk away with that haul, like that's an A-plus draft in my opinion. I would also agree with you. It would be an A-plus draft. What, how crazy would that be, right, Stephen? When we talk about, the types of questions that you and I both got leading up to the draft lottery when Oklahoma City Thunder fans, when we've been on certain podcasts, they've kind of asked us, what are our thoughts about if they got the number four and the number 12 picks, right? Like who are the two targets? And the fact that 
we went from in those scenarios, Shane Sharp and potentially somebody like Usman Yang, for example. Mm-hmm. And now we move to Jabari Smith and Jalen Durant, two guys who give holy smokes <laughs> incredible long term upside, but are also fits with how this roster is currently constructed. We're talking about the potential rare home run of the best of both worlds, BPA as well as fit. I I could not disagree with what you've done here. I think if that's actually how it played out on draft night for the Oklahoma City Thunder, they they could possibly jump the league pass rankings in in terms of, I I think the Rockets are still going to be my league pass team going into next year. And I will want to see what Kate does in year two for Detroit. But man, if that's the draft that the Thunder have, holy smokes, that is that, that that would be something I would absolutely love for that to be the outcome. Um, yeah. You're talking about guys with upside positionally to be like in the top half of the league at their position, like yep. realistically could very well happen on a team that could also like be, be in conversations for Victor Wimbanyama or scoot next year. So let's finish out these last two picks. And then we have one more segment that we sure. want to get to tonight on this pod. So Charlotte Hornets at number 13. There is an obvious pick to be made on the board, Stephen. I don't know. If there you, is. But what, 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 what are you doing for them at 13? I'm not going to go with the obvious pick because, oh, man. because they have the 15th pick. And I think that there's a player that they could take now that probably won't be there at 15. I'm going to go Jeremy Suhan here as a guy who can help this like horrible, horrible, horrible defense as a guy who can play make a little bit at the at the four. He might give you minutes at the three. He might give you minutes at the five, but I project him long-term, Nathan, being a mainstay at the four. Um, doesn't really shoot well, but I love his creativity, man. I love the flair that he plays with. I love the toughness, the grit. The defense is obviously going to be his calling card, and I think, you know, pick and roll sets with him, and then we're not going to talk about the 15th pick, but that's where I would probably take Mark Williams if I'm them but I don't think that Jeremy Suhan is going to be available at 15 where Mark Williams like realistically could be available that far down. And then the Cleveland Cavaliers at number 14, who you give in Cleveland, a team that is on the doorstep to do some damage in the playoffs with real legitimate talent. Do you still give them a quote unquote upside guy? Do you maybe go with a little bit more of someone who's quote unquote viewed as like a finished product, for example, who you go with at 14? How about the best of both worlds, Nason? And you thought that you were going to get a draft lottery without me mentioning one of my favorite players in this entire draft. Oh, boy. Tari Eason. 14, oh, boy. So the Cleveland Cavaliers as a guy who can help this, like, funky, defensive-minded front court. Um, also grew, grew as a three-point shooter. Also um, underlying passing skill set that's just waiting to be unleashed in the NBA. Uh, just all around tough, hardworking dude. I think fits this Cleveland Cavalier culture, their identity to an absolute freaking T. I think that there's so much in his game that would would just would fit beautifully to Cleveland. And because I'm not a homer, like I do have him here at 14. But I I honestly feel like Nathan that his fit with this Cleveland Cavaliers roster is is one of the the best fits when you start to get around this like outside the top 10 window you didn't go with your boy Ochai Abaji I'm a little shocked I, yeah. I think that would have probably been my pick just thinking off the top like we're firing from the hip for this mock draft but 
I respect it. I respect the different opinion. I do think Tari is in play to be drafted in the lottery, so I don't think that's unrealistic in the slightest. Some interesting directions you took at the very tail end of the mock draft. But just to recap for the audience, Stevens lottery mock draft right after the draft lottery was, was done and the picks were revealed. Number one, Orlando Magic, Paolo Vincaro. Number two, Oklahoma City Thunder, Jabari Smith Jr. Number three, Houston Rockets, Chet Holmgren. Four, Sacramento Kings, Shane Sharp. I picked number five, Detroit Pistons slide to five. They get Jay Nivey in this scenario. And number six, the Pacers get Dyson Daniels. At number seven, the Blazers get Benedict Matherin. And number eight, the Pelicans get Johnny Davis. And number nine, the Spurs get Malachi Branham. And number 10, the Wizards get Keegan Murray. And number 11, the Knicks get A.J. Griffin. At number 12, the Oklahoma City Thunder get Jalen Duren. 13, the Hornets get Jeremy Suhan. And number 14, the Cleveland Cavaliers, we finish out with Tari Eason at number 14. One hell of a mock draft, Stephen. I applaud you for not, not a lot of time that you technically put into this because, we, we again, <laughs> we, we are firing from the hip doing this pretty live. But a lot I can tell a lot of thought has gone into your evaluations on these players and where they could possibly fall on draft that you've done a tremendous job for us in those ceilings and here on draft deeper throughout the course of this 2022 cycle. Stephen, I'm so proud of the effort that you put in your willingness to come in and do literally anything that needed to be done. Jump again, helping me co-host the show, whether you're in the rotation, out of the rotation, regardless, you showed up and you absolutely knocked it out of the park. I couldn't have been more happy and more thrilled to have you as a co-host right now, Stephen. And when you are back for the next draft cycle, we will certainly have you in the rotation here at Draft Deeper, right where you need to be. So, because you are a member of Draft Deeper, as you'll mm-hmm. always be a member of Draft Deeper, I can't have you exit stage left <laughs> and not have you give your guys for the 2022 NBA draft cycle. We will not go in depth, we're not going to have full blown discussions on these guys. No, but we, we talked about a good bit of them already. You need to give me your guys for this cycle. Just give me brief explanations on why they're your guys to, to close out this podcast on a high note. Well, we'll start out, Nathan. Thank you for the, the beautiful introduction. I'm going to um, give more thoughts on everything that you laid out here at the end of the show. But for the My Guys segment, Dyson Daniels uh, quickly has risen to be one of my guys. I think that I kind of had to, I was obligated to put him here after some of the behind the scenes conversations that took place in our no ceilings boardroom. So, uh, or war room, rather, I should say, uh, Dyson Daniels, I have him as my sixth best prospect. Uh, everything that I mentioned about why I think that that Pacers should take him applies there. Uh, Benedict Matherin, ultimate man crush in this year's uh, draft cycle. I know I'm not alone, you know, shout out to Rucker. He and I are definitely team Matherin. I have him number seven on my board. Uh, I, I just love, you know, I felt like people were just ignoring what was actually taking place in the season. And then once the season died and people went back and watched this film, they're like, Oh yeah, he actually kind of did all these things. And I was just like screaming the entire season. Like, yeah, of course. Like he, he did those things, but another one of my guys. And then we talked about Torres and at the tail end of the lottery, um, you know, just uh, ultimate working class prospect that I think is going to find a, uh, a long staying home in the NBA. But two players, Nathan, that we didn't get a chance to talk about this podcast, but people have definitely heard me bring them up. My 26th prospect on my board, Nathan, is Ishmael Kamigate. 
just the uh, the talent that he plays with in the paint. I think that he does have more moves than he's getting credit for on the offensive side of the ball. And a lot of the games that I've seen, he does offer some pretty clean counters to his initial move that I think that the, catches the defense off guard. And then defensively, like, just not afraid to contest the basket by any means necessary. Came to the game late. I think that there's a lot still left to unearth in his game, but I'm a really big fan of him. And then my final guy, Nathan, Vince Williams Jr. out of VCU, a guy who I wasn't necessarily turned on to until about the March time frame, so I know I'm later than to the party than some. But I just love his versatility. You know, the, the playmaking that he has, clear, like legitimately one of the best passers in this class. I think positionally in the NBA, if he catches on, that'll be something that's emphasized with his game, the defensive versatility that he has. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he can knock down an open jump shot. I liken him to, you know, your Jay Crowders, your Mikel Bridges, or not Mikel Bridges, your Tory Craigs uh, of the world. You know, guys who playoff teams want, and they're not necessarily, you know, featured on a lot of your teams, but you win games when these guys are in your rotation. So, Vince Williams Jr., I have him 34th on my board. He rounds out, I guess, like my starting five of my <laughs> guys, where I have Dyson Daniels, Benedict Matherin, Tari Eason, Ishmael Kamagate, and Vince Williams Jr., who, by the way, I think would be a heck of a five-man unit, by the way. I think that they all play off of each other very well. And my last note about Vince Williams Jr., in case anybody hasn't gotten the chance to, to go back and watch the VCU tape on him or doesn't have access to all that VCU film, is somebody who has played in the G League elite camp slash combine the last two days. So that video, or, or those games, I should say, were televised on the G League YouTube channel. So that is free for anybody to access. Just go back and watch those games. You need a glimpse of, of Vince Williams Jr. Did a, did a great job. Um, playing at the G League Combine. So, Stephen, that's it, man. Your, yeah. your, 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 your final thoughts about this draft cycle, about draft deeper, about no ceilings. Just leave it, leave it all on the floor before we part ways. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm going to wax poetic here. So just everybody listening, uh, I love you so much. You know, just the, the fact that I am where I am, you know, for people who know me, who have been rocking with me for a long time would – would remember me from, and Nathan, this is where we met. You know, I ran a podcast called Breaking the Game on the prior network that I was, you know, that I was with, with the Off the Ball Network. And it was an NBA-centric podcast. And, you know, I had sponsorship and things like that. You know, things were going great. Uh, that network started getting a lot of guys who wanted to talk NBA. So this year, what I wanted to do is I wanted to spread my wings. I wanted to cover the draft exclusively because, Nathan, guys like you, Corey, you know, other guys that we've had on on Draft Deeper as guests, they would come on and it was like my favorite conversation. So this season, you know, I started a, a little podcast called Draft Capital and I started a little um, Substack newsletter called Stephen G Hoops. And, you know, I, I would offer my thoughts and opinions about prospects. And as the season wore on, you know, Nathan, I started to get to know the uh, the no ceilings, uh, what I referred to at the time on Draft Capital as the No Ceilings Collective, it, it's a family, you know, getting, I had an idea of that when I was kind of watching from afar, but now that I'm, you know, ingratiated into the collective, it is a family, man. And I, I, I love the work that we do. And, uh, you know, I just, I want to give some, some special shout outs real quick, Nathan, if you'll entertain me on that. First off, I talked about, you know, Chris LeBron of the Off the Ball Network. I'll forever just appreciate him for giving me the opportunity to join his network 
and get to meet incredible people. I've got to interview so many awesome, so many awesome guests. And, you know, when I had draft capital, you know, Mark Schindler, who has taken off like a rocket this year, like, oh my gosh, uh, having him and, you know, his basketball news, you know, uh, colleague and Matt Babcock, who Nathan, I know that you respect the heck out of as well. A mutual friend of ours, Chuck from Chucking Darts. I've had guys like Chip Jones, CJ Margisani, Lee Branscombe, Stone Hansen, uh, Keandre of Hoop Intellect, uh, Jake Waterhouse of Crashing Hoops, which is also where Simon Rath, who is just a friend of everybody on, on draft Twitter. Um, have to give a big shout out to to Chad Ford, who that was like a career, career milestone for me was getting to interview him as a guy who was in my personal rotation on listens. And then I also got a shout out Matt Penny of the Game Theory Podcast, who has just been far too kind and more available to me than I than I deserve. But, you know, just a guy who I respect the heck out of. And Nathan, I got to give shout outs to some of the guests that we've that I've had a chance to interview with you here on Draft Deeper. Shout out to Coach Spinella of the Boxing One, our guy Yoda Rashard Phillips of Sports Talk 2319, my guy Erson Demir, CJ Moore of The Athletic. Uh, shout out again to Matt Penny, Jacob Polachek of Zags Blog, and of course our guy Bryce Simons of the Simons, or excuse me, of the Pistons Pulse and Detroit Bad Boys uh, family there. So um, shout out to the No Ceilings Collective. You know, you guys are my brothers. I love y'all. Shout out to Kevin, best producer in the business. And again, Nathan, thank you for the opportunity for, you know, not just welcoming me to No Ceilings, but just being like, hey, dude, like I want you on Draft Deeper. That was huge for me because Nathan, like you mentioned way earlier in the show, I listened to you before like this was even a thought in anyone's head that you and I were going to be co-hosting together so the fact that you and I are you know taking draft deeper to new heights and new places along with our our brothers at no ceilings far more than I deserved it's been a hell excuse my language it's been a hell of a first year covering the NBA draft I'm incredibly proud of what we've done at no ceilings and I can't wait to see just how far we've come when I come back from going where I'm going, man. There's, there's been a lot accomplished between draft deeper and obviously no ceilings in a very short amount of time. I cannot wait to see where all of this continues to go in the future. So thank you, Stephen. Like I said, for everything you've done for this show, for no ceilings as a collective, you will be back. This is not a goodbye. This is a see you later. Absolutely. Um, and, and I will, I will be ecstatic to have you back in the fold with all of us for the 2023 draft cycle. But that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening as well as subscribing. If if you did not get to listen to or watch the No Ceilings live stream over on YouTube, we will have the reaction video posted and will remain there on YouTube. We will also have the audio from that live show over on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Definitely make sure you are subscribed over there. Make sure you are subscribed to this podcast as well, Draft Deeper, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Make sure you're following me on Twitter at Draft Deeper. Make sure you're following Stephen on Twitter at Stephen G Hoops. And make sure you're following No Ceilings on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. And so are subscribed to the Substack, NoCeilingsNBA.com. We will continue to pump out content every Monday through Friday leading up to the draft. Trust me, there is so much more coming on the written front from all of us, as well as the podcast front. So definitely make sure you are locked into every single platform that we have and are continuing to create content for. But until 
we meet again. Thank you all for listening. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your week. Much love, everybody.